Good morning. How are you all? I'm in a room full of um, farmers, I realise, so most of you have been up for hours and hours. Very different from where I come from, (laughs) where people sort of drag themselves out of bed to get to church on time. Uh, Great to be with you. We had a ball yesterday. I've um, really enjoyed being with you, and I feel very looked after and cared for. So thank you so much for being friendly and wonderful. Um, there's a, uh, there was a woman named St. Teresa of Avila uh, who lived centuries ago. Um, and she was uh, someone who absolutely loved the Lord and spent a lot of her time in prayer. She, she spent the majority of her time in prayer. And she was very much known uh, for someone who was uh, pursuing God through prayer all of the time. She, uh, she wrote about a concept of the four waters of prayer. She kind of she liked to to uh, think about life as being like a garden that needed to be watered. And if you wanted to look at your life as a, uh, a follower of Jesus, um, she would consider that her life and our lives, in fact, would be like a garden that needed the watering of prayer. And so then she started to talk about uh, these four different waters that you could engage in in order to have the garden flourish and for things to grow. And so the very first uh, thing was the, the well, basically. She said, uh, you can have prayer in your life like a well. Uh, you would go to the well, you kind of need to lower a bucket down, and then out of the well would come the water, and the water would be used to water the garden. But going to a well takes effort and time, and it's something that you kind of have to Make time to do, yeah? So it's something that you would go out of your way to do. And she said most people will start at that level of prayer when it comes to watering the garden of their soul. They would, they would sort of carve out time. They would make an appointment with the Lord, if you know what I mean. And then they would sort of turn up and they would lower their bucket and then they would be filled up and that would water their garden. She said this is the very first level of prayer. The next one, she said, is like a water wheel. Uh, where there is a, a continual flow in a river or like a water wheel, but you would have to go to the water wheel and crank it in order to get the, the flow of the water. So it's like a deeper level, a more accessible level of prayer to water the garden, but it still required your own going to and the effort. Then she talked about a stream, just a stream of living water that would flow through a garden and that would irrigate then the soil and it would just be flowing quite easily. But you would still have to then, in, in order to reach the far reaches of the garden, you would have to go to the stream to draw from it, even though it was uh, flowing all the time. But the final uh, water that she spoke of in regard to watering the soul and watering the garden of our soul is rain. Now, you guys know some things about rain. <laughs> too much of it can destroy a garden. Too much of it can destroy a farm. But nevertheless, rain is what we want to seek from the Lord when it comes to a life of prayer. That we would come to him, we would, we would understand that when we come to the Lord, his rain just being present, just coming, and our understanding that it's there to water us, to feed us, to uh, fertilize us, to help us grow, his presence is there for us in abundance if we're willing to seek him to live a life like that. And I want to live a life that is watered by the rain of the Lord. 
Uh, we talked yesterday, uh, we finished our time yesterday talking about being in the presence of God and wanting to pursue that as a life calling, wanting to pursue that as a lifestyle, as our resting pulse, that we would be people of the presence of God. And it's really interesting that as, as you look through Scripture, you see this kind of picture of rain and um, water again and again throughout Scripture. I think about the story of um, Elijah. He's sitting up the top of Mount Carmel. He's just had this standoff with the prophets of Baal, and he's called down fire from heaven. And the greatest kind of mountaintop experience that anybody could ever have, you know, that, that was Elijah. And, and he, he walks around the corner, and he looks out over this great valley, the Valley of Armageddon, the Jezreel Valley, and he looks over to the, to the side and he can see the Mediterranean Sea and he places his head between his knees and he starts to pray because there has been no rain in the land for the past three years. And then he says to his servant, go and have a look. Can you see anything? Is there any rain on the horizon? The servant comes back, no. And this happens a few times. And then eventually he says, I can see a small cloud the size of a man's hand. And at that point, Elijah knows there is the sound of heavy rain. He's talking about living water. He's talking about life-giving water that will give life to a land that has been in drought. I don't know whether you are somebody who has experienced drought in your soul in the past season, but it was a season of drought. It may not have been necessarily a season of drought in the natural, but it well and truly was a season of drought for a lot of people in the spiritual And as we come out of a time of difficulty and challenge where we're wondering, where are you, Lord, and how do I live out my faith in this season because of various things that have happened and various things that have rocked us, what we need to recognize is the Lord wants to bring rain upon our soul, and he wants to reignite the growth. He wants to bring us into new seasons of of life and goodness and flourishing That's the Lord's heart for us. He doesn't want us to stay in a season of drought. He wants to bring us to the end of that drought, and he wants to lead us on. And so I want to have a look today at um, one of, I think, the the most colorful characters of Scripture, and that's a man named Peter. We're going to start from Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20, but before we do... I just want to give you a little bit of background. This guy, Peter and and John, Jesus has already ascended to heaven. So Peter and John have been filled with the Holy Spirit at the the time of Pentecost. And uh, and they're walking on their way as they normally do to the temple that day, as they would normally walk past the, the, the gate beautiful. And as they're walking in, they see this man there who's been lame since birth. This man was sitting there every single day. But this day, he's he's there, he's asking for money. And this day, Peter turns around to him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And so this man is healed. And then, of course, there's a big kerfuffle and everybody wants to know about it in the temple precinct. And so he starts preaching to them. And they're called into the Sanhedrin to explain their actions because how dare they preach in the name of Jesus. And this is what Peter says back to these teachers of the law. He says, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So he's talking to this crowd of people who are both kind of fascinated and horrified that these guys now have the power of Jesus who's meant to be dead. This is what he says to them, repent. 
Now, what's interesting to me here is as he's talking to them and he's saying to them, this is, if you want to find times of refreshing in your life, if you want to understand what it is to even live under this Roman occupation and thrive in life, if you want to know what it is to be truly connected to Almighty God and times of refreshing to come into your heart, here's what you have to do first. Repent. Now, when he's talking to this crowd of people, he's not talking to rabid sinners. He's not talking to people who are involved in heathen practices. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to people who are running around doing a whole lot of things that we would consider especially sinful. Do you know who he's talking to? God-fearing people. He's talking to God-fearing people, God-following people. And he says this, repent. Repent. Change your thinking. Change your mind. Go back to a place where you are before the Lord and you want to see the wonders of what he does. If you want to see times of refreshing come to you, if you want to see new seasons of growth and life and fulfillment and goodness from the Lord, you need to change your thinking. That's what repent means. Metanoia means to change your mind. You need to come to a place of recognizing that where you are at the moment is not exactly where the Lord wants you to be. Repent. Go back to the beginning. Change your mind so that the Lord will bring times of refreshing to you. And we see this pattern all the way through Scripture. But what amazes me about Peter here is the boldness that he speaks with when only a very short while beforehand he was in a very, very different place. And so we're going to have a look at that in John chapter 21 and starting from verse 1. This is after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish on it, which is actually quite funny when you think about it, because they were bringing the fish in, and there was already fish on it. Yeah. Jesus didn't need the miracle is the point. He already had fish, (laughs) some fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, I want to back up a little bit as to why this conversation had to take place. When Jesus was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane and hauled before Caiaphas, the the chief uh, priest, the the high priest at the time, and all of the other leaders in the Sanhedrin, in the Jewish Sanhedrin, he was hauled off before them, Peter stayed close by. He wanted to find out what was going to happen. And he was outside of Caiaphas's house in the courtyard waiting to see what would go on. And all of this trial, this mock trial, fake thing was happening on the inside. And Peter was on the outside lurking. Now, to his credit, he was one of only a couple of disciples who bothered to stay near Jesus at all. But nevertheless, here he was, and he was just outside, but he didn't want to be recognized. And he had three people come up to him. Jesus had already said to him, you're going to deny me three times before the morning. He had three people come up to him and say, aren't you one of his followers? You're sure Galilean, like we can tell you Galilean, aren't you one of his followers? And three times he said, no, I don't know the man. And so as we find ourselves here in this story, in the Sea of Galilee, once again, what we discover is Peter, who knows that Jesus has resurrected, he's already seen him a couple of times after his resurrection, and he's gone back to fish. This is what someone does when they think they're disqualified. Peter had spent three years with Jesus. Jesus had said to him, on this rock, I will build my church. He'd changed his name. He'd given him this great grand call. Peter had been growing him, challenging him, changing him, chiseling him out over those three years. And yet he finds himself when Jesus is resurrected, he goes, I'm going to go back to fish. Now, Galilee is three to four days' walk. It's not close to Jerusalem. So it's not like Peter's just going, oh, I'm just going to go out fishing for the day. He's literally gone back home. Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and Jesus and, the other, and, and Peter and the other disciples have gone, we're going to go back to Galilee because we don't know what else to do. Let's just go back. Let's just head back to the beginning. Let's just head back to what we know. And it's into this place that Jesus seeks them out and he does this amazing miracle and he has this wonderful conversation with Peter. But what's fascinating to me about the conversation, and we can see obviously through the text, that Jesus is reinstating Peter with these three questions. Do you love me? And they they kind of counteract the three denials, yeah? That's normally the way that we read this passage. But I want to see something a little bit bigger that's going on here. Because while Jesus was reinstating Peter and he was showing him this forgiveness for this denial that had happened, there's something else significant that he was doing. He was reminding him of what it was like to follow at first. You see, this wasn't the only miracle of the fish in the Gospels. There was another one. The other one is found in Luke chapter 5. Right back at the very beginning. 
Peter had known Jesus, maybe for a few weeks, maybe for a couple of months, not long, right? He'd seen him baptized. He'd uh, followed him around a bit. He'd heard some of his teaching. But on this particular morning, there in the Sea of Galilee, Peter had been out. He'd been fishing all night. And so had the others. And he comes to the shore, and as he's coming in, he sees Jesus is teaching on the shore. He's teaching a few people, and he's sharing with them the story, a parable about a sower. And as they come in to the shore after fishing all night and getting nothing and catching nothing, Jesus says, can I use your boat as a lectern? (laughs) And so he hops in, and, and they push him out a little bit, and he uses the water as an amplification system. And he, st- and he carries on preaching to these people. Peter thinks, okay, that's cool, that's it. And then the people are dispersed. Jesus says, okay, we're done for the day. They all leave. And Jesus says to him, have you caught nothing? He goes, no, I haven't caught anything. He goes, go out and catch something else. You know, put the net in now. Peter's like, okay. <laughs> I realize you're a builder and therefore you're a tradie, but I'm the fisherman. What do you know, right? You kind of get this sense that Peter's going, whatever. Jesus says, go out. So he puts the net out. And the Bible tells us there was not enough room in two boats to contain the catch. Because at this point, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 5, that Peter comes out of the boat. He races to the feet of Jesus. He falls at his feet. And he says to him, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says to him, get up. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. And so they leave their catch behind and they follow Jesus. What's happening in this story in John chapter 21 is Jesus is reminding him of the very beginning. See, so many times in life, what we will do in our faith and in our walk is that we will come across situations that rock us, they challenge us, they throw us off course, we start to doubt, we start to behave in ways that we never thought that we would. Our faith is rocked to some degree that we, sometimes we come to the Lord and we go, I don't even know who you are. I don't know how to speak to you. I don't know how to share this with you. I don't know how to be honest with you or vulnerable with you about this because I really thought you had this in hand and clearly you had something else in mind than what I understood. That's what Peter found in that moment. Jesus had been crucified. And Peter's there at that moment going, I don't understand the plan. I don't know what's going on. Who you told me you were is totally different than what I can see before me now. And I don't know what to do. So I'm just going back to what I know. And by the way, now I've ended up denying that I even know you. And I feel so guilty. I must be disqualified. I'm just going back to what I know. But Jesus comes into that moment And you know what he does because of his grace and his goodness? He brings Peter right back to the beginning. And he goes, this is who you saw me as at first. This is the miracle that first made you say, I am overcome in wonder for who you are. Peter, in that moment, in his shame, in his turmoil, feeling disqualified, on the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection of Jesus, was taken right back to the beginning to a place of wonder. And he would have recognized it because he'd seen that miracle before. 
Jesus grabs hold of his heart and he says, remember what it was like at the beginning. Do you know what that is a picture of? Repentance. It's a picture of repentance. In this moment in time, Jesus wasn't just reinstating Peter in his call. He was grabbing hold of his heart and saying, I want for you to have wonder and amazement at who I am once again. Because if you followed the Lord for any period of time in your life, you will know, as I do, that over time we become dull. We become familiar. We get so used to just going through the motions and doing the stuff and doing the thing, we actually just forget the wonder of who Jesus is. How amazing and glorious he is. What a privilege it is to know him. What a privilege it is to follow him. That we have the opportunity to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, speaking to us, connecting with us, being with us, changing us, transforming us, calling us out, calling us on. We forget that. We forget the wonder of who he is. We just become dull. And it's very easy for us to look at someone like Peter and go, man, you're like, you were with Jesus for three years. You were like right with him for three years. How could you possibly get to the point of denying him? I'll be honest with you. I can understand how he gets to the point of denying him. Most of us would understand and recognize that there are moments that we're tempted to deny him even now. Paul says these words, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He has to say that to who? Timothy. He's just instated Timothy as the pastor, the kind of chief guy of the church in Ephesus. And he's saying to him, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's got to tell this to the pastor. (laughs) Guess what, mate? Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Don't be ashamed. If we followed the Lord for any period of time, we will have experienced a temptation to deny him. We will have experienced the temptation to avoid telling people about him, to back ourselves out of a situation because we feel like we're not spouting the approved narrative, feeling like the the minority who's not allowed to say this or experience that or share this or share that, that somehow Christianity has been placed in the box of something that should be private and never spoken about. Every single one of us goes through our life, through stages of our life where we deny him. We might not want to admit it. We might just say, oh, there wasn't the opportunity or I didn't take the opportunity. But in reality, what we're doing in our mind is we are denying him. And what Peter's story, what Jesus did with Peter here, it reminds us that we need to go back to the place of wonder. If we can somehow remember the moment when Jesus captured our heart. Every single one of us has got a story or a moment or something in our life that we can call to mind where Jesus captured our heart. Well, he did something that was extraordinary, that just amazed us. And it made us go, wow, Lord, you are God. For some of us, like Peter, it would have felt like, go away from me. I'm a sinful person. But yet you are God. That's what Jesus wanted to remind Peter of that day. And you know what links the two stories together so fully? That first one. 
at the beginning of his ministry where Peter was at his knees on the ground, go away from me, I'm a sinful man, Jesus says, follow me. And then three years later, there he is on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is resurrected. He reinstates me. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. This is what we learn in this story, is that the only person who can disqualify you from the Lord's work is you. Jesus doesn't disqualify us. He wants to bring us in. He wants to bring us back. We can say no, and we can walk away. In that moment when Jesus said to Peter, follow me, Peter could have gone, I can't do it. Sorry. See ya. But Jesus was always there beckoning him. Go back to the beginning. Be prepared to repent. I want to tell you, over the past few years, past couple of years, the Lord has taken me on a a wild journey of coming back to that place of wonder. I've been in pastoral ministry now for 23 years. I know, it's hard to believe. I started when I was two. Um, 23 years pastoral ministry. And I want to be honest with you. Five years ago, four years ago, I was in a place of complacency. It was a job. I'm not embarrassed to tell you because I've repented from it. I would have been embarrassed to tell you about it at the time. It was a job. And through a period of time where pretty much everything that I did in ministry was based in pride. I can do that. I know how to do that. I've got the skill for this. I've got the skill for that. So I'll do all of the things that I have the skill for. And then when I feel like the Lord says to me, I want you to do this thing that you're really bad at, like, I don't want to do that. Keep Keep me away from that. Because I'm trusting in my own ability, which is pride. There was a period of time at the end of last year when I felt like the, I, was, I was just I was actually just watching a message being preached by someone else. And they were talking about fear of man. And I discovered all of a sudden this thumping in my chest as I realized that everything that I was doing in life was based in fear. What's this person going to think? What's this person going to say? What's the backlash of this going to be? What's the consequences of that going to be? And I didn't even realize how bound up I was about it. I ended up in a worship time on my knees sobbing like ugly crying before the Lord. I have just been fearing everything that everyone else thinks. And he said these words to me. He said, as long as you care what other people think, you will never obey me fully. And my heart was broken by that. Because it's true. Because the people who I can see with my eyes will always win over the Spirit of God. But I was in turmoil at that point because then I'm saying to the Lord, well, what am I meant to do? I've got 40 years of habit to break. It's not just that the Lord could come and say, you know, I could say, can you just release me from fear? And he'd go, yes, there it's broken. Great. But I'm habitually fearful. I've got 40 years of habit to break. How do you do that? And so I'm saying to him, Lord, can you train me out of this? I felt like he said, yes, I will. And so I've been learning. Okay, I'm going to do this crazy thing. 
I'm going to stand up in front of a group of people and tell them all my issues. <laughs> it's okay, because you're lovely, but I choose to care not, not care what you think, okay? <laughs> this is what the Lord does when we allow him, when we open ourselves up and we say, take me back to the place of wonder. Take me to a place of repentance where I can be clean and open before you, where I can come back to that place where I recognize who you are and who I saw you as right at the beginning, that place of wonder, that place of amazement where God was at his fullest. I want to get rid of that feeling of just familiarity and dullness and daily come to that place of repentance. You know, we think of that word repentance, and we think it's somehow a negative word. I want to tell you, repentance is a gift. It is a gift given to us by God that we can come back to him daily and say, here it is, Lord. I've now gotten to a point, honestly, and I want to recommend it to you, of having a daily habit of every day coming before him and going, Lord, what do I need to repent of? Can you bring something to mind? And then if he does, just going, okay, I don't want that. Let's deal with it. And then if there's nothing there in that category, I go to the next category. You know what the next category is? What are the negative emotions? The angry feelings. The hurtful, bitter thoughts that I've got in my heart. Because if I have any of those things, guess what? They're not of the Holy Spirit. Those are not fruit of the Spirit. So let's repent of those. The next category, if there's nothing there, there usually is, I'll be honest. The next category is what am I afraid of? What am I fearful of? What's hindering my trust in the Lord? Now, if you start your day confessing those three things and repenting of those three things, I want to tell you, your ability to see Jesus for who he is increases incrementally. It just keeps increasing because it brings us back to that place of wonder. The fascinating thing for me is that over the past couple of years, as he's brought those three things to mind for me, the complacency, the pride, the fear, I recognized that Peter's issues were exactly the same. He'd become dull and complacent. He'd become prideful. I'm just going to go and do what I know how to do. I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go and do that, rely on my own strength. And he was absolutely gripped by fear. He was so fearful of what people could do to him that he was prepared to deny his Lord. He was gripped by the same things, but Peter comes to a place of repentance and then he can stand before these teachers of the law. He can stand before this group of people and he can say to them, repent so that times of refreshing can come to you. This is someone who understands what it is to come to a place of repentance, to see what it is to go back to a place of wonder and amazement in who Jesus is. And then what happens? Times of refreshing come to him. Times of growth and goodness. Once the Holy Spirit is poured out on Peter, he becomes bold. This same guy who was in the courtyard of Caiaphas going, no, no, I don't know who he is, stands in front of the Sanhedrin and goes, repent. And then he does this massive long sermon and says to them, even longer than mine, and says to them, you killed Jesus. You killed your own Messiah. They put him in jail. And then they say to him, you are not allowed to preach in this name any longer. Do you know what his response is? (laughs) He goes, Well, you tell us who's best to listen to, you or God. 
Peter said that. The guy who denied him said that. That's what happens when times of refreshing come upon us and we come back to that place of wonder of who Jesus is. There is a boldness and a courage that rises within us because of the power of the Holy Spirit because we were prepared to repent. It's strange for a guest speaker to come to you and talk about repentance, but I'm so fired up about it. I know this is the beginning for us as God's people. This is the season. He wants us to come back to that place of wonder and to start again. What is the moment for you that immediately comes to mind when you think about just one, just one moment or one experience that you had that immediately comes to mind when you think about the greatest thing that you have experienced that the Lord has done in your life? What's that moment? What's that thing? Where you went, wow, (laughs) he is God. Wow, he answers prayer. Wow, he gives supernatural peace. What's that one moment that you can call to mind? And then I want to ask you, is there something in your world or in your life or in your behavior that has caused you to feel disqualified? And you find yourself going through the motions of your faith. You find yourself going through the motions of church and Christianity. And you believe in the Lord and you love the Lord, but you yourself feel disqualified. I want to tell you today, he does not disqualify you. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of new beginnings. And he wants to bring us back to the beginning. I want to ask you today what it is that you might need to repent of right now. David says these words in Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to come to the Lord on a regular basis and say, just search us, Lord because I want to be clean and passionate before you. I wonder if you'd you'd close your eyes and bow your heads. And just even as we are here in this moment right now, is there anything that you need to, right this moment, repent of? Just confess it to the Lord. Tell him you're sorry. Thank him for his forgiveness because he is faithful to forgive. And ask him for a new beginning. And just as we stay in that attitude of prayer, 
This is what the Lord says over you from Isaiah 30, uh, 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. And this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. We thank you that you are a God who saves. But more than that, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of second chances and third and fourth, and it keeps going on. That when you call us, you don't leave us behind. That you understand that because of what we face and the various things that happen in life that don't shock you and don't surprise you, but they certainly shock and surprise us. You understand that sometimes because of those things, we can wander away. You understand that we can become dull, we can become familiar, we can start going through the motions. You get all of it, Lord, because you created us and you know us better than we know ourselves. But I want to thank you, Lord, that you are a God who calls us back, that you want to show us new things, that you want to take us into deeper, fuller places, that you want us to know you more and to keep growing in our knowledge of you and to never stop. And so, Lord, as your people, we want to come before you and say, take us back to the beginning. Take us back to a place of wonder. Show us afresh who you are. Show us again your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Teach us more about your character, things that we can't comprehend and can't understand, things that would amaze us in new ways. Lord, as you draw us on, remind us to keep choosing you and keep choosing to follow you. And so I thank you for what you've done here this morning. And I pray that you would seal it in each of our hearts. In the matchless, powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.